back like we never left. Never it's did double leave. move sports. We're back. We're getting into this stuff, man. Football is right around the corner. What is it now? Like 14 days, 15 days, something like that. Something crazy. It's right around the corner. It's real. It's happening. It's on. We don't care about pandemics. We don't care about holdouts. Season's happening, man. And I couldn't <laughs> be more excited. <laughs> well, we do care about that stuff, but we, we really just want the season to happen. We're holding out hope. We're so close. Everything looks like it's going smoothly in camp so far. So fingers crossed that things stay that way and we can get to the season. I think we're all just super excited for some football this year. Some of these topics today, Steph, we were we were hyping them up a little bit before the show. I think they're going to be super fun. Uh, it's a lot of polarizing topics, a lot of you know hot players that people have questions about. I know we're hitting on Cam Newton in here. Um, we're hitting on Adam Thielen, a couple other big names, and some some backup and depth um, running backs as well. And we're going to talk draft strategy as usual because a lot of people are in drafts right now. We just got through our home league draft this past weekend. It was a great time. We're both feeling pretty solid about our teams. That's a super competitive 14-team PPR league, but it's draft season. We're ready to go. We are ready to rock and roll. Guys, if you like what we're doing here on the show, hit that subscribe button. That is huge for us. Been making a huge push lately. I want to take a second and, and give a sincere thank you to everyone who has given us a, a sub or a like up to this point. We just hit a thousand subs on YouTube. It's it crazy. feels great. So thankful. And we're doing this, guys. Like we don't have any connections. We don't have any, you know, backing. We're not dumping a bunch of marketing dollars into what we're doing here. We're just two guys with laptops that just do a bunch of research and are nerds and love this fantasy game, love this football game. It, it's the best game that exists. It's the best sport out there. And so we're just passionate and it's great to see a passion project start to pick up some steam. So again, thank you everybody uh, as well. If you want to take this on the go, uh, you know, I know a lot of people like when you're driving into work, uh, maybe you're at the gym, you want to have some fantasy uh, knowledge poured into your brain. You can listen on Spotify <laughs> and Apple Podcasts. As always, if you have questions, you can hit us up in the YouTube comments. We're still a relatively small channel, so if you have any topics, this is the time we are going to answer We're those. We're getting to everybody right now. We're getting to just about everybody. Outside of that, too, if you want to hit us up on Twitter, you can slide into our DMs on there. It's at Double Move Sports. Last thing I'll plug here, our rankings are up on the website. If you you're trying to decide between a couple different players. Maybe you're looking at a tier. You want us to be the tiebreaker. Just go to doublemovesports.com. You can see our full rankings for every single position on there. Uh, Alex, anything else before we jump into these hot takes and these topics? One last thing I want to mention. It's Thrive Fantasy. This app is incredible. Yes. It's basically DFS without needing to do a ton of research on every single player that's you know third and fourth on the depth chart. They got all sorts of sports. NBA is going on right now. NFL is coming soon. And, and really, you're just doing prop bets. You're deciding, is a player going to get over or under a certain amount of points or assists or rushing yards when we're talking NFL or passing yards? It's so fun. It's so easy to go through there and pick the over or the under. You only are picking the top-tier players in each respective sport, so it's a blast. And if you sign up now, it's thrivefantasy.com or um, hit the link in the YouTube comments or in the YouTube description below, excuse me, and, and sign up. If you use code DMS, you are going to get $20 when you deposit $20 free money. or more. So $20 free money. for free on us. When you see money on the ground, you don't pass it up. You stop and you pick it up and put it in your pocket. That's what we're doing. If you sign up for Thrive Fantasy, you will get $20 with the code DMS. So be sure to do that. Check it out. It is a great app. It's a ton of fun. Um, we're going to be making picks on it throughout the season as well on the show. We'll do a segment or two on that. 
But Steph, without further ado, let's hop into it. I'm super excited about these topics. The first one I want to get into is the San Francisco 49ers. And their receiving core seems like it is getting depleted day after day (laughs) after day. We know George Kittle is a stud tight end, but Steph, is there anybody else in this 49ers passing game that you want any piece of in fantasy football outside of George Kittle? There's a few guys, so we got to put some context behind some of it. You know, really, Debo Samuel. I want them at their ADPs or below their ADPs. There's not guys like I'm never going to just totally fade a guy. There's always going to be a point where they do become a value, and I think there could be paths to fantasy relevance for two. I'm not going to say three for two of the wide receivers on this team. Debo Samuel, it's tough with the foot injury. He's coming in banged up, probably not going to play week one based on all the reports that we've seen up to this point. We'll see how things change leading up to week one kickoff. But as of right now, Debo's not going to be out there. So it's going to be hard to predict, but I'm kind of excited about Brandon Ayuk. Um, with this this 49ers team, let's talk about some of the changes that have happened since we saw them on that, that Super Bowl run uh, last year. So we have... Emmanuel Sanders uh, heading over to New Orleans. We have Marquise Goodwin uh, going over to Philadelphia. That's 71 vacated targets. We know the volume is low with Shanahan's run-heavy scheme. They threw the ball fourth fewest in the NFL last season. We're in the bottom half the year before that back in 2018. So I do expect the volume to go up, um, whether that's for Debo, whether that's for Brandon Ayuk, whether that's for Kendrick Bourne, who we'll talk about here a little bit more in a second. But especially with the reports now that Nick Bosa – is dealing with injury. They lost to Forrest Buckner to your Colts. I could see regression in the efficiency of that run game. It's it's tough to see Jimmy G throwing the ball, though, over 510 times this season. Are you fine, Alex, taking Debo? Uh, right now his ADP is the wide receiver 37. I haven't ended up with him in, in really any of my drafts. Are you kind of just waiting to see if he falls past the ADP with the, with the injury worries? Yeah, I'm out on Debo right now. I mean, it's tough because in a 12-team league, you're probably going to have to draft him as your wide receiver three. And for me, typically in a 12-team standard PPR or a 12-team PPR league, I'm usually going to play a wide receiver in my flex spot. So to draft Debo and have to sit him on your bench and then wait an extra round or two for someone you could potentially be starting is just tough for me. So if you're in, you know, a greater than 14 or a greater than 12 team league, like 14, 16, a really deep league, it's so hard to reach and grab Debo, even at his current ADP, because you don't want to draft a guy that you might not get for four, six weeks, and you could end up getting off to a slow start. And then your starting lineup is a lot weaker to start out the season. So maybe in a 10 team league, if Debo is your wide receiver four, or if you can get him as your wide receiver four in a 12 team league, I'm okay to take the shot on Debo Samuel because if you get Debo Samuel for 10, 12 weeks healthy and you didn't even have to worry about starting him in the first few weeks anyway, you could actually end up getting someone that really contributes down the stretch. But right now, I'm kind of out on Debo because he's being drafted as someone who you're going to have to you know, sub out your flex or a better tight end to draft Debo Samuel. And for me, it's just not worth it because we still don't know Um, what Debo Samuel is going to be in this offense. You said it incredibly low volume last year. I do think the volume will increase slightly, but the the style of this offense under Kyle Shanahan, um, Jimmy G at quarterback, someone who's not going to throw the ball 35 times a game, a run game, a good defense. I do expect some regression in some areas, but I don't think it's going to change their style and what they want to do. And because they're going to want to play the same brand of football, I just don't know that there's going to be enough to support all these different options, the run game, Kittle, and a banged up Debo Samuel. 
And I'm worried too for Debo long term. Like that, this could be a lingering issue throughout the rest of the season. He could be like a, a Marquise Brown last year, playing with a nail in his foot. Like we don't know where he's going to end up going. It may need surgery. It may Evan not. Ingram bounced in and out of the lineup last year with a foot injury as well, and he was trash after he got hurt. <laughs> it's one of those things. Like you just you hate to see that, and that's something that could linger for a very long time. I'm okay with Brandon Ayuk. He's the wide receiver 59 right now. Per I mean, Brandon Ayuk is hurt as well. Brandon Ayuk's out right now. He's week to really? week. He might not even be ready for week one. I, that, that's news yeah, to me. He I, had a hamstring I missed issue. that one, I guess. But, I mean, I before I, I heard that, I was actually fine with Ayuk as one of those late-round upside flyers that you can take. So, I guess with that news now, Alex, are you just totally fading both Ayuk and Samuel? I guess it's Kendrick Bourne now as our next best bet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Steph, I'm kind of in the same boat. Ayuk is someone who I was willing last pick of the draft, second to last pick of the draft. Take a shot on Ayuk. There's going to be opportunity in the offense. He was a first-round pick. Now as a rookie, very recent news, at least when we're recording this podcast, he has that hamstring issue. He's week to week. He might not be ready for week one. And regardless, as a rookie in a shortened offseason, you don't want someone who's not who hasn't been out there in camp. So it looks like the receivers in this offense week one could be Kendrick Bourne, Dante Pettis, and Trent Taylor. So that's disgusting to me. I mean, Debo, Ayuk, Jalen Hurd are all hurt. Travis Benjamin opted out. So this is going to be, I mean, they could run the ball 40 times in week one. And Steph, I'm going to throw a name out there that I'm not saying to pick him up. I'm not saying to start him. Maybe if you're in a deep dynasty, a very deep league, maybe a two tight end league, if there's any of those floating out there, Jordan Reed. I mean, I know if he, I dude, I know if he hits the ground one time, he's probably going to get a concussion, but there's been some hype around him in camp and there's nobody else to throw to. So I'm not making that recommendation, but it's interesting that Jordan Reed sadly could be the number two or three option in this offense for the first couple weeks. I don't think he's fantasy relevant, but that is what the 49ers are dealing with here. The, at least the good news for Ayuk, it, it was a leg injury. It was a mild hamstring strain, so he could be ready for week one. The thing is, like, you don't want to go into week one having to already take deep shots off the waiver wire. I do like his profile, though. I would be trying to see if you can get your hands on Ayuk and or Debo Samuel if their prices are a little bit lower with some of the injuries that are occurring right now. Kendrick Bourne, we'll keep our eyes on him. Um <laughs> He's only 25 years old, which actually blew my mind as I was kind of, of looking into a little bit of his profile. He keep, he'll he be a guy I'll keep my eye on. He didn't see more than four receptions in a single game last year. For reference, Debo was seeing eight receptions on back-to-back weeks last season. So it's going to be Kittle just being a black hole of volume underneath, just sucking in every single ball that Jimmy G throws within 10 yards of, of the line of scrimmage, which is a lot of his throws. So unless Kittle goes down, I'm not touching Bourne. And don't even get me started on Dante Pettis. 48% of snaps on a run first offense. I'm, I'm out. I'm not doing it. Agreed. And so I guess to summarize, Steph, outside of Kittle, <laughs> week one, if, if Debo and Ayuk aren't out there, even with increased opportunity or snaps, I'm not touching any of these 49ers options. No. Maybe in DFS, I'll take a gamble on one of them. But as far as season-long fantasy, the only way I'm taking Ayuk or Debo Samuel is if they fall below ADP and if I can get them at a value and stash them on my bench and hope that they pan out later down the line. So let's talk about a receiver that there's been a lot of polarizing takes on. Some people think he's going to be a guy in that top eight range other guys are fading him completely it's adam thielen right now his adp is the wide receiver 10 let's play a game here alex too high or too low on adam thielen (laughs) at the wide receiver 10 it's too high i don't know and the problem is it's just the adp i like adam thielen i think he actually is going to bounce back this year in a sense but 
at wide receiver 10, that is ridiculous. And it depends where you're drafting. I know some areas, some sites have him as low as like wide receiver 14 or 15, but either way, it's too high for me because there are so many guys in that same range that I'm taking over him. I'm taking Allen Robinson, Odell Beckham, Amari Cooper, DJ Moore. I'd much rather have any of those guys than Adam Thielen last year. He was banged up. He only played 10 games. He had 30 receptions, 418 yards, and six touchdowns, which is not necessarily great even in 10 games. And then in 2018, Thielen actually had a, a mega season, 113 receptions. Remember early on in that year, he was actually on pace to break the single-season reception record. That was But massive. 113 catches, 1,300 yards, nine touchdowns on 153 targets. He was wide receiver seven that year in PPR formats, and I think that was his absolute ceiling. So he's climbed up to the point where even if he repeats an incredible season, a career year in 2018, he's still only returning ADP value. So to me, I know Stephon Diggs is gone. 94 targets gone. But I, I just don't see the upside there for Adam Thielen. Two seasons ago in 2018 when he went off, the Vikings threw the ball 606 times. Last year, they only threw the ball 466 Third times. lowest. So, I mean, there's yeah. So for me, it's tough because I don't think it's going to be as low as 466. I think the volume does go up next year, but it's not going to be 606. I think it's somewhere in the middle. And with Justin Jefferson coming in, um, you know, with Irv Smith potentially breaking out, things like that, I, d- I just don't know that Adam Thielen has the upside to be drafting him as a low-end wide receiver one. Steph, what's your take? Too high or too low? I think I'm with you on, on the too high train here. We like feeling a lot, but guys, we, we, we talk in these categories. We want to measure everything relative to ADP because if we're just talking about players, like for every player, we could say we like them or we hate them. But really oh, what yeah. we're talking about is the- give me feeling as my wide receiver too all day. Like I would take him Absolutely. over that tier of like T.Y. Hilton, Keenan Allen, Cortland Sutton. I'll take him over those guys, but he's not being drafted with those guys. And, and I'll talk about where I think he should be in terms of ADP, but there's something I want to talk about here for a second. It's something I'm seeing more and more. It's It's this... I don't know if it's a it's a misunderstanding or just the the age old kind of cliche of like too many mouths to feed, but a lot of fantasy players and even some analysts that I'm seeing they're not really displaying a good understanding of of the slot position and where that efficiency comes from. The slot is only an advantageous position when the defense gets stretched with X and Y receivers because they're able to then get into these defensive mismatches with the third string corner, with linebackers that don't have the speed. Those are more bigger body guys that can't keep up with a pure speed so that you're going to put in the slot like a Juju Smith-Schuster, like a Tyler Boyd, even like a Golden Tate. But what we see, what we see with these slot guys, which Thielen played 30% of his, his snaps were in the slot last season, but in his monstrous 2018 season was about uh, 47% of his plays were from the slot what you need as a slot receiver is a dominant guy on the outside, which is what we saw Thielen excel with when Stefan Diggs was out there drawing these defenders in. And this was a great breakdown I found on numberfire.com. It was a breakdown showing splits between Adam Thielen with and without Stefan Diggs on the field. And when Diggs was out, Thielen was seeing more volume. He saw two more targets a game, almost uh, two more receptions per game. So the volume went up but the yardage actually slightly decreased. So it's not like he's getting all this volume and it's going to be highly efficient without a Stephon Diggs or without a Justin Jefferson that can't emerge. At the pace for a full season, he would have been eighth in targets, but the the, the yardage actually went down. The efficiency decreased. We still got Kyle Rudolph there. 
uh, you know, vulturing touches away in the end zone, in the red zone. So I think the volume will be there. It's kind of a volume play with Thielen. His touchdowns for me are what could take it over the top to where he could hit that wide receiver 10 ADP, but it does feel like you're drafting him at his ceiling. And the volume gets capped again by how little the Vikings actually pass the ball. We talked about it. They Third lowest in terms of pass plays last season. 31st in terms of pass plays per game. Then you add in the hamstring, the reoccurring like soft tissue injury that Thielen has. Really the situation that I see Thielen in is much more similar to like a Juju Smith-Schuster whose ADP is four spots lower at the wide receiver 14. Everyone's fading Juju in favor of Adam Thielen, even though Juju is way younger and in an offense that historically has passed the ball way more. So I have Thielen a few spots down from the wide receiver 10, more next to Juju. Um, like I said, he's in that that you know high-end wide receiver two range. That feels a lot better to me. And we'll see if Thielen can get there this season. Like you said, if he's your two, absolutely love him there. Yeah, and, you know, it's tough because earlier this offseason, I really was kind of hyping up Adam Thielen, like bounce-back player potential. And I have him as a a high-end wide receiver, too, and it's tough to now be fading him at his ADP because I guess everyone else was with me for the bounce-back. I really thought coming into drafts, people would be fading Adam Thielen a lot more, and he would be more of a value, but he's right up there towards the top. So that's disappointing, and I know the volume's a concern. And what you said about Stephon Diggs is great, too. And the good thing for Thielen is – They did bring in Justin Jefferson, who's not going to walk in and be as good of a player as Stephon Diggs was right off the bat. But they brought someone to come in and play on the outside, mix in and out with Thielen in the slot, you know, on the barrier, things like that, which should help. Justin Jefferson is a very good wide receiver. But the other thing is, you know, from a volume perspective, they did have those 466 um, attempts in 2019. But I I really think that's going to come up significantly. One is just that was incredibly low, and there is room for regression there. There was that one game where Kirk Cousins threw the ball like 10 times <laughs> in week one. Um, but like also Ryan Tannehill. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But offensive coordinator last year, Kevin Stefanski, is now the Browns head coach. And a lot of people thought that heavy run scheme was a Stefanski thing. Um, he was calling the plays, and now Gary Kubiak is expected to be a play caller in Minnesota. And Gary Kubiak as the play caller is significant because – he loves passing the ball. And I know some of this, you know, is, is due to the scheme and things like that. And I don't expect the Vikings to totally change their offensive scheme and what they want to do. But in Kubiak's last four seasons as a head coach, um, his team's averaged about 590 pass attempts per season. Mm. So that was, yes, it was Denver with Peyton Manning, but it was also the Texans with Matt Schaub. So it's not like it's Hall of Fame city over here with with Gary Kubiak. And some of that could be roster construction. Again, I'm not saying they're going to throw the ball 590 times this season, but he's not going to have this run-heavy approach that Kevin Stefanski had. So I think it's going to bounce out somewhere in the middle. And even if they bumped up to 525, 550 attempts in 2020, I think that's a huge bump for Adam Thielen, and it's going to give him some value. But again, like we've been saying, I just don't know that he's worth it as a wide receiver one. Like if Thielen's my wide receiver one, I'm not feeling necessarily great about it. You're only feeling good about it unless you're absolutely stacked at running back prior to that. But let's talk exactly. about let's talk about the quarterback position. You know, you know, we, we've talked about time and time again on this show in our mock drafts. We love the late quarterback approach. It's also good to know where the values are on some of those other names. That way you know when it is time to pull the trigger on a Deshaun Watson, on a Kyler Murray. But let's talk about Cam Newton. His ADB is, is the quarterback 14. I think that's a absolute steal there. You can usually get him later than that too, which is the crazy thing. You can probably get him as your quarterback 16 or 17 in your league. 
It, it's crazy. I, I don't get why everyone's just suddenly fading him. Like, yeah, he's coming off injury, and it's it's one of those analysis situations where it's like, if he's healthy, he'll be great. Um, like we talked about with T.Y. Hilton, guys like Chris Carson, even Adam Thielen, like if they're healthy, they're great. But man, Cam Newton, like it, the upside cannot be understated. He's a perfect upside quarterback that you want to grab late in your draft. And when you're in a single quarterback league, all you really need at the quarterback position is upside. You shouldn't be going for like a Derek Carr waiting really late and just taking a, or, you know, even like a, I don't know who's another option. Teddy Bridgewater, even though I like Teddy as a streamer, the whole point of grabbing these upside quarterbacks like Cam Newton, like Joe Burrow, um, even like Gardner Minshew, is that they can provide this tremendous upside that you can't get from other guys there at the position when you can probably find them on the waiver wire. You can stream your quarterback position if you need to, just based on those matchups. And with Cam, if he's healthy, he's going to absolutely dominate. Reportedly, the foot is fine. Cam looks good. I know we can't use uh, Twitter clips and Instagram footage uh, as a, a medical diagnosis, but he looks great. We've seen all the workout videos. We've talked about his fit in the Pats, short, quick passing game. If Cam comes in and he is the Cam of old with the lack of weapons in New England, he's going to have to put the offense on, the, on his back. He's going to have to rush a ton. He's averaging 116 rushing attempts and 611 rushing yards a season. Like, even if you think he's banged up or he's, you know, slowing down his old age, rushing is a part of Cam's skill set. Maybe at age 31, he's not as efficient of a rusher and he can't truck guys the same way he used to, but he has the ability. Hmm. He has in his range of outcomes to rush the ball over 100 times, put up over 500 rushing yards this season with at the quarterback position. That gives you top eight upside. Like, if, if he's healthy for 16, I think he's top eight, no question. Do you think this is a hot take or, or are you vibing with me? No, I'm with you. I mean, to me, his upside is a top five fantasy quarterback. I'm not going to say it's a guarantee, but I think his upside is easily there. I mean, look at his last seven seasons as a starter. He has a long track record. And last year, obviously, he was hurt. But prior to that, he was the quarterback 12, quarterback 2, quarterback 17, quarterback 1, quarterback 17, quarterback 3, and quarterback 4. So, you know, 17, 17, and 12 in there, you're not too happy with. But I mean, that's about where his ADP is right now. So you're really not losing anything if he does end up being quarterback 12 to 17. But there were three and, you know, four of the past seven years as a full starter. He's been a top four fantasy football quarterback. So to me, he's being drafted at his absolute floor if he is truly healthy. And you're going to know pretty quick. The Patriots open up the season with the Miami Dolphins. It's great. If you roll, <laughs> it's great. If you roll him out there against Miami and he sucks – He's just cut him and pick up somebody else. Pick up a streamer and you're fine. You spent a double digit round pick on Cam Newton. No big deal. He hurt you in week one, but you're going to be okay. If he comes out against Miami and puts up a solid game, you know you've got something and you know you have some potential there. And obviously, like a game against Miami doesn't tell the whole story, but if he comes out and lights the world on fire and rushes for 50 yards and a touchdown and throws a couple hundred yards and a touchdown and gets you 20 fantasy points, you're like, okay, I might have, I might really have something here in Cam Newton for the full season. So to me, He's a guy you could potentially start every single week this season and be locked in at the quarterback position, yes. and you're taking him in streamer range. So, you know, the thing about Cam, he just has such a high rushing baseline that, yes, the upside is there. And we talk about with running backs, a lot of the running backs that are these tier two running backs, the reason they're not tier one running backs is because they don't have the receiving ability. Think about a guy like a Derrick Henry. Think about even Leonard Fournette. I know he got a lot of passing work last year, but we don't expect it this year. Josh Jacobs. Those are players we love as a solid running back, but we're not expecting them to finish in the top three, like a CMC, like an Alvin Kamara. 
at the quarterback position, this it's the it's similar, but with rushing ability. Like if you have a rushing quarterback, to me, that's almost equivalent to a receiving running back because you're getting a whole additional layer of upside to the position. And at the quarterback spot, look, I mean, look at the, the good quarterbacks in fantasy football. You've got Lamar, enough said. Mahomes can get it done with his legs. Russell Wilson, Deshaun Watson, Dak Prescott, all running quarterbacks, even Josh Allen and Kyler Murray. So when you want upside at the position, you want someone who can run the ball. Cam Newton's career low in rushing yards is 488 yards in a season. His career low in rushing touchdowns is four. And there are plenty of years where he's been far above that double-digit touchdowns, 500-plus yards. But even at his career lows, that's four-and-a-half fantasy points a game on the ground. That's a really nice baseline for a rushing quarterback. And even with no weapons, I expect Cam Newton to be fine. I mean, he's got Edelman. Hopefully, Nikhil Harry can break out. Um, James White is there. Do you think that Josh McDaniels and Bill Belichick are going to put together an offense that's not going to be able to score and at least move the ball? Like It's as safe as they come. We have so much more data and perfect case studies of McDaniels and Belichick. I know it's with Tom Brady. I get it. But we know more that we see more that says they're going to be great than that they're not. And so I'm willing to gamble on that at that late round ADP. The guys that were at 500 rushing yards last year were QB seven, QB six, Josh Allen and Kyler. It's like, why am I going to waste a pick on Josh Allen when I can wait like seven rounds and just get Cam Newton who could potentially finish in that six, seven range. The old version of Josh Allen, which is Cam Newton. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Newton is, is the proven upside quarterback it's going to happen in New England. I'm, I'm all aboard the hype train. Steph, also, I mean, I know one of the other knocks on Cam Newton, the health is huge, but people are going to be saying, okay, the weapons. He has no weapons. You know, Brady he struggled need last him. year because he had – exactly, he doesn't need them. Um, you know, in his 2015 MVP season, he had 35 passing touchdowns. His top receiver was Ted Ginn. His number two receiver was Jericho Cotri. I mean, Greg Olson did put up (laughs) – Exactly, exactly. Ted Ginn and Jericho Cotri were his number one and two receivers in terms of yards. Greg Olson put up a big year at tight end, but I do expect Edelman and James White to find a way to work together to represent that role for Cam Newton. Think about the underneath routes, the check downs, the out routes. I think Edelman and James White are going to be just fine in giving Cam Newton those easy check down options, those high completion percentage options, and they're going to be able to do enough with those – to get Cam the yards, to get Cam to be able to move the ball down the field with this offense. So I think he actually has better weapons this year in New England, even though they are pretty weak in that sense, than he did in his MVP season in Carolina. So I'm not worried about that. And the icing on the cake, and I don't want to overreact to this, but you know, going into the year, we thought the Patriots were going to be a very stingy defense like they were last season. They're going to be locking people down. The Pats are going to be winning games 21-17. to 17. But Patrick Chung and Dante Hightower opting out doesn't mean nothing and I think if I think they're still going to be a very good defense but that should take away from the dominance we saw in 2019 and the Pats might actually need Cam Newton to do a little bit more than they thought they were going to need him to do so I'm all in on taking Cam Newton as a late round flyer I think there's going to be a lot of leagues where he ends up on the waiver wire and after week one he's going to be one of those hot names that people want to pick up well, you, you put the icing on the cake, and I'm going to make it like a s'more or an ice cream sandwich because I'm going to add another <laughs> layer on there. Because Dude, I love double I see, icing. Give me that all day. <laughs> I, I see the running back turmoil that they're having with questions about Sony Michelle. I know reports are positive on Damian Harris, but he's super unproven. That could just mean more rushing volume and ability, whether that's goal line, whether that's just moving the ball on high leverage situations, third and three. Like that's It's going to be Cam who's getting it. I don't know if it's going to be Sonny Michelle. Or Damian Harris. So that kind of helps as well. Just another layer added on there. 
But let's move over here. Enough about Cam. Let's talk about another Cam. It's Cam Akers. And we want to compare him to DeAndre Swift, the two rookie court, uh, running backs coming in right now. Swift, RB27. Akers, ADP, RB29. So both these guys going as high-end RB3s. I'd be thrilled to have either as my three, but who are you taking of the two? They're pretty similar, but relative to ADP, would you rather go with Swift or would you rather go with Akers? Yeah, it's actually interesting that they're going so close because for me, it's pretty easy. I would take DeAndre Swift in this one. And yes, I, I know that this neither situation is necessarily great and perfect, but DeAndre Swift is going against one guy for touches in this backfield. It's on Johnson where Cam Akers is going against Daryl Henderson and Malcolm Brown. I mean, everything to me, like if we're comparing Swift versus Akers, I, I just lean Swift in just about every category. So I just laid out one. Swift has to fend off one guy where Akers has to fend off two. Swift, I think, is a better player overall. He, I think he's a more well-rounded player at this point in his career. Akers is still very talented. The draft capital was all also lower, though, and things like that. Um, Swift is playing. I know the Lions offensive line is not necessarily great, but the Rams has a lot of question marks as well. So I'll call that one a push maybe. Um, but to me, it's just like, I think Swift has a much higher likelihood to get all the goal line work in Detroit where with Cam Akers in LA, I'm just concerned that Malcolm Brown being a veteran in that offense is going to vulture away a lot more touchdowns than people think. And to, you know, add more icing to the consideration, like the icing on top of this one, I know it's early, but in camp, Akers has had some fumbling issues, um, according to some beat reporters. So if you've got a rookie who's already having fumbling issues in camp, I know Sean McVay is not going to put the ball in his hands on the goal line early when he's got a trusted veteran in Malcolm Brown that he could use. So with Akers, I feel like it might take him a while to get ramped up. Um, and with DeAndre Swift, I love the talent. I think he's totally well-rounded. He's going to be great out of the backfield in the receiving game. He's going to be great as a runner. I do think Kerryon Johnson is a better talent than Daryl Henderson or Malcolm Brown. But Kerryon Johnson, we all know, has had injury issues every single year to this point in his NFL career. So I think DeAndre Swift has a ton of upside. I think both have upside if they were to be like the guy in their backfield. But I think there's a much higher likelihood in their rookie year that Swift gets significantly more volume than Cam Akers, and that's kind of the difference for me. I think I agree. I really do. I'm, I'm all aboard this Swift hype train. I, I take both of these guys well above their ADP. I have them very close to my rankings, and it's funny how similar their situations actually are. They share a backfield with unproven veterans. They're in offenses that put up a lot of yardage and points. They have rough offensive line situations. Uh, Football Outsider says, I think Detroit was 20th in run blocking. LA was 19th, so they're right there neck and neck. But these are both elite prospects at the running back position. Both are explosive on the ground. They can get it done in the passing game. But yeah, like you said, we, we got to go with Swift. He has way less to compete with. I think he's going to hit the ground running. And an offense that passes more often to the running back position. I want to talk about Kerryon a little bit here. He had eight games healthy in 2019. Only played six games in 2018. He's already practicing with a knee brace. And he's made it clear in all of his interviews. You can go look these up. Like He, he knows and he plans on sharing the load with Swift. He's like glad that they brought him in. Which if I'm a running back, I'm like, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to compete and i'm going to show you guys that i'm better but he's already like oh i'm excited to share the load with swift carry on's whole skill set when when he was good we have seen flashes his whole skill set's about being explosive i'm just not sure if he has any juice left in that department i need to see it before i can believe it but let's just say last year continues detroit's already shown that they're moving on from carry on in the passing game he only had 1.9 targets per game last season 
in the eight games. He had 15 targets. He caught 10 of them. J.D. McKissick and freaking Ty Johnson last year in Detroit combined for 73 targets. So in total, this backfield had 92 targets to running backs with the awful slow-paced offense that couldn't stay on the field with David Blau and Jeff Driscoll at quarterback. The year prior, they had 138 targets to running backs. Before that, 108. So this team is going to pass the running back position. They've shown it. Think back to like Theo Riddick. Uh, And with the early second-round draft capital, I think Detroit's going to get Swift going early in the passing game. And I think once they see him making plays, they're not going to be able to help themselves. They're going to start peppering Swift with targets, giving to him on the ground. For sure. To that point, something that blew my mind is the Rams were dead last in the NFL last season in targets to the running back. Like, that's crazy because I remember the dominant Todd Gurley years two years ago and three years ago, and it seemed like they were throwing it to him a ton, and they were still in the bottom half. But last year, they were dead last. Only 61 targets to the running back position last year. So now we're saying, okay, is can't like Gurley's a great pass catcher. And we're saying, is Akers a better pass catcher than Todd Gurley? No. So are they really going to start throwing to the running back more all of a sudden? I don't think so. So you're so right. From a receiving perspective, especially in these PPR, half PPR leagues, that's just another point for DeAndre Swift in this debate. I, so. I think Swift could get as high as 70 <laughs> targets in year one. I know it's a hot take. But if wow. he's taking in all the, you know, they let J.D. McKissick walk. I know Bo Scarborough's still in there. But in terms of passing game weapons, I don't even know if, if Ty Johnson's still on the team. It's it's Swift. It's going to be Swift. They're going to get him early and often through the air. That's already what the camp reports are saying. I don't want to read into those too much, but I'm excited for Swift, man. I think his upside's insane. If, if you're in a PPR, have PPR, you got to get him as your three. Two years ago, Theo Riddick was at 75 targets. And that's when Carrion had 39 of his own, so... I mean, last year, the wheels kind of fell off for Detroit with Matt Stafford going out, and it was crazy. I mean, carry-on was out. They didn't really have any options in the in the running back room. But even two seasons ago, Detroit was fourth in the NFL in targets to the running back position. So with carry-on and DeAndre Swift probably being a one-two punch, I don't know that they're going to have anyone else even involved at all in this offense. I do expect a pretty good target share for DeAndre Swift. And, you know, on the ground, I, there's a chance Akers ends up with more rushing yards on the ground. Um, just because on Johnson should see, I mean, if he stays healthy, he should see 10 to 12 carries a game. But I, I just don't think Akers has enough juice on the ground from a sheer yardage perspective to overtake Swift and fantasy value, especially when I know Detroit running backs historically have not been, you know, thousand yard rushers, guys that are plunging into the end zone a ton. But with Cam Akers, I don't necessarily see the path to eight to 10 touchdowns this season. I, with those other guys there as a rookie, I just don't know that he can, he can let's, do it. Let's compare the, the veterans. So we talked about Kyrion. Now let's look at Daryl Henderson. And I know Malcolm Brown's there, but Daryl Henderson, he was a third-round rookie pick last year. I think the Rams are going to try to – He's dealing with an injury. Exactly. And I, I think they're going to try to see what they have. I think the Rams have not given up on Henderson at all whatsoever. I think he's more on the upswing and Kyrion's on the decline. So that's where I'm like, well, the Rams are probably going to get Henderson more involved. He's coming in healthy. I know – he suffered a hamstring injury in camp already. They say it's mild. He might be ready for week one. Week one he might not, which is where this whole take can kind of fall apart in the Swift-Akers debate. But Malcolm Brown had five touchdowns last year. That was more than anyone the Lions backfield had. So Malcolm Brown, of all remains constant, he's the goal line back in L.A. I think it's awful. I hate it for fantasy. I hate it for Akers. But I think he's going to be vulturing those touchdowns on the ground, whereas like I don't, I don't know if Bo Scarborough is going to be doing that to Swift. I don't think he will. No, I agree. I agree with you. And I, like to be clear, Akers is hands down the most talented running back on the LA Rams, but it's yep. just a matter of workload. And the one, the one path we have to, you know, 
range of outcomes, there is a chance Cam Akers obviously ends up in front of DeAndre Swift this year. We're just putting our money on Swift. But one of the clearest avenues for Cam Akers is if Daryl Henderson does miss week one or misses week one and two and comes out and gets an increased workload because Daryl Henderson is out and absolutely lights the world on fire, Sean McVay is going to ride that hot hand. So that could be the way that Cam Akers gets his foot in the door and gets major snaps and usage early on in his rookie season. Otherwise, I think Cam Akers owners are going to be frustrated because it could take him some time to get going. So keep that in mind. If you draft Cam Akers or DeAndre Swift, for that matter, I love them as an RB3, love them as an RB4. Rookies that you don't have to throw out there week one and cross your fingers, but you can kind of wait and see what you've got. And if they're crushing it, then you roll them out there week two. And if not, if it takes them four or five weeks to get going, you're not just like burning a hole in your team by getting three points out of your running back every week. Yeah, I think I think the final verdict is we're okay with either of these guys, uh, but we lean Swift just by a hair as it stands right now. Since we're talking about running backs and some of the deeper names at running back, Alex, I want to talk to you a little bit about um, and something that yeah I really spent some time on after our Sunday's finest draft. That's our home league. Are, are the running back handcuffs? But also have some standalone value. You think of names like Kareem Hunt. You think of Zach Moss. Even other ones that I'll talk about here in a moment, like Chase Edmonds, Boston Scott, Justin Jackson. I'm I'm really coming around to taking these guys over Marlon Mack, over the Alexander Madisons, over the Tony Pollards, over the Latavius Murrays of the world. Because I want a guy that will become a top sixteen option if the guy in front of him goes down. But I don't want a guy who's going to sit on my bench and put up zero points for four weeks. So there's other names in this category. I think Marlon Mack's in there. I think sure. um, Philip Lin- Philip Lindsay's in there. Tevin Coleman. There's a ton of names. And Steph, for me, it comes down to this. I I love the strategy, and you're right because if you have Tony Pollard on your bench for four weeks and Zeke isn't getting hurt, he's never missed a game due to injury in his entire career. Tony Pollard getting enough work to like if you need to drop somebody, you're going to drop the guy that's not doing anything, or you're just going to try to pawn him off to the Zeke owner. But for me, the, the, the big question is, it depends on what you're looking for for this guy. If you're looking for an RB3 that you might have to plug in during bye weeks, you might have, um, you know, he might be your first backup if someone gets hurt. In that case, I would lean towards a Marlon Mack. I would lean towards even a Boston Scott who's going to get some passing work. I would lean towards a Tevin Coleman. Guys that are at least going to get touches and not just be non-existent on the field. But to me, if you're looking for an RB4, which is strictly an upside shot, I would much rather have a Tony Pollard than a Marlon Mack because barring barring injury, Steph, here's what I want to ask you. Of all these guys we just talked about, barring injury, which ones are you actually excited about playing on a week-to-week basis? Like, are there any of the names we just said that if they're your RB2, you're like, oh, this is great. I'm going to win my matchup this week. And to me, the answer is no. So to me, it's about you're just taking a gamble on which one is going to have the upside if an injury happens. And for me, that's Tony Pollard. Um, but I'll kick it back to you. I want to hear what you, what you have to say about some of these guys. I know you love Chase Edmonds, Boston Scott. Um, what's your take on these guys? And in what situation would you want them on your bench? And here's the thing. You know, you threw out like Marlon Mack out there. I think we could talk about individual players. Like I think his ADP is too high. I'm talking about guys that are super late in drafts that have upside to either take over as the one this year or there's they're in committees where they could see some relevance. So in this league, it's a 14-team 
PPR league with keepers. My keeper was Devontae Adams. In the first round, I got Miles Sanders. Second round, I got Melvin Gordon. And this is a league where running backs go at a premium. Almost all the keepers are running backs. There's not a lot of guys available. So that's who I'm rolling with. At that point, it's like, am I going to reach on Ronald Jones or I'm going to take DJ Chark? So I had to make that decision. I ended up going with Chark. And then there really weren't many running backs left. I got sniped on a few guys, got sniped on J.K. Dobbins, got sniped on James White. Maybe I should have reached up and taken one of those just to, to help me put together a little bit more of a robust running back strategy. But at that point, I said, well, screw it. I'm just going to wait. I'm going to scoop up a ton of other value at the other positions and then just get a haul in terms of these standalone value handcuffs where in this weird crazy COVID year they could end up being the one on the depth chart at certain points out the season but I know that in the right matchup I could plug them in as well and their value will increase if Chase Edmonds comes out and he's getting limited touches let's say he's being used as a change of pace back behind Kenyon Drake and he's getting let's say eight carries and and a reception or two a game that's still enough value that's there where you know, it's not just zero points a week, zero points a week, zero points a week. I can plug him in on a desperation move. Let's say Melvin Gordon goes down now and I don't have any other options. I could plug Chase Edmonds in in a high-flying matchup. Let's say the Arizona Cardinals are playing the Atlanta Falcons. Well, then I can plug him in there because I think I can get something from him as opposed to a zero that I'm going to get or, a, you know, one point that I'm going to get from a Tony Pollard or, you know, an Alexander Madison who are really relegated to zero if they can't get anything going. So in this league, I decided to hedge against my lack of depth of the running back position. And last year, I did this exact same thing. And it ended up being a massive win when I was able to get Austin Eckler in like three different leagues. And, you know, kept me in week in, week out. But I got Zach Moss in the eighth. I got Boston Scott in the ninth. Uh, again, this is a 14-team league. I did have Miles Sanders. So having Sanders there kind of helped make the decision for me on Boston Scott, but I probably would have taken him with or without Sanders just because I think he can be relevant in the right matchups uh, with some of the unproven weapons that the Eagles have. And then I took Chase Edmonds in the 10th. All three of these guys have week to week starting potential in desperation situations in PPR leagues reports on Zach Moss is that he's going to be a big part of the offense, especially on the goal line in this Frank Gore role. I'm projecting him to be a touchdown vulture from Devin Singletary and it takes some of Josh Allen's nine rushing touchdowns from last season Moss I feel like is an underrated prospect he was the highest graded running back prospect per PFF since 2016 he can get it done in the passing game I look at Boston Scott's stretch over the last four games in 2019 where he was the RB7 literally getting more receptions than Sanders in every single game and he was there as the the number two behind him and then when Sanders went down he had three touchdowns in half a game so I love the PPR value. I love the handcuff value. And then Chase Edmonds. Uh, with how many plays this Cardinals team is going to run, with how much we expect this team to improve with Kyler Murray emerging, the addition of DeAndre Hopkins, I I'm just trying to get my hands on pieces in this offense. And one of the cheapest ones is Chase Edmonds. You know I love Kenyon Drake, but I like Edmonds a lot as well. And before his injury last season, Edmonds was getting five to eight carries and two to three receptions per game. Like that's that's enough to where if he's efficient in the right matchup, you can plug him in on a bye week if there's an injury, whatever it may be. His efficiency stats were very similar to Kenyon Drake's. He had uh, four touchdowns and with three of those coming on one week, which we also saw with Kenyon Drake. So there's also that boom potential where multiple touchdowns could come in. Edmonds was running at 5.1 yards per clip. Kenyon Drake was at 5.2. So both similar in that department. And when Edmonds was made the full-time starter, when David Johnson went down, 
He absolutely ate 27 carries, 126 yards, three touchdowns, some passing game work, a 35-point fantasy week. We've never seen Kenyon Drake play up to his ceiling for a full 16-game season. So I like Edmonds as this change of pace back, a guy who will see some efficient touches on an offense that's going to run a lot of plays. So that, that's where my love from Edmonds comes in. You can pretty much get him for free. The, the value is going to skyrocket if Drake goes down. So at RB52, I think you can do a lot worse than, than a guy like Chase Edmonds. See, and I disagree with you. Really? I, well, here's the only I other thing so I'll add. I so strongly disagree with here's you. Here's the only I other so thing I'll add. I disagree with you. I'll, I'll let you get into your disagreement, but Drake is on a one-year deal. I think the Cardinals are going to see what they have with a 24-year-old still on his rookie contract who's shown some flashes. Drake is on a one-year deal because he's on the transition tag, and I'll pull it up, but do you know – how much they're paying him this year i'm pretty sure it's over 10 million dollars so they would not have kept him it's on, 8 million they would not have kept him on the transition tag if they weren't going to pay him or they didn't want him to stick around and they didn't think he was going to be useful so that i mean i think all the other he signed has, a one year 8.4 million dollar deal with the arizona cardinals okay so that probably puts him in what the top 10 at the running back position in the nfl um so sure. Here's, here's why I disagree with you, because to me, I get the points about Chase Edmonds. I think if Drake goes down, he has value. Outside of Kenyon Drake going down, you are never going to start Chase Edmonds. Yet, yeah, it's just not true. And every name you listed, Boston Scott, Chase Edmonds, um, who else did you talk about? You said Alexander Madison. Zach Moss. Zach Moss. Okay, Zach Moss, I'll give it to you. I think Chase Edmonds and Boston Scott, there is no chance they win the starting job without an injury to the starter. Zach Moss is different. I think Zach Moss could potentially actually get more workload than Devin Singletary this year by talent. Now, with Chase Edmonds and Boston Scott, there is no way they're taking over the role from a talent perspective. The only way they're taking over that role is due to an injury, which is exactly what you're shooting for with a Tony Pollard, with a Latavius Murray, um, with an Alexander Madison. So to me, I, I just don't see the upside there because Tony Pollard had as many good games as Chase Edmonds did last season. Tony Pollard had more rushing yards per game than Chase Edmonds last season. Pollard had 200-yard games, um, had a couple 20-plus point fantasy weeks, and Chase Edmonds really had three good games all season. Tony Pollard had two good games all season. So to me, it's like trying to roll out one of these guys and try to project which matchup the backup is going to get touches and score touchdowns is impossible. You're just praying for a miracle at that point. And to me, the only way you're ever going to start any of these guys is if the starters go down. Now, the one thing that Chase Edmonds has in his favor is that I think Kenyon Drake is probably more likely to get hurt than Zeke, and that's just, you know, neither are super injury prone, but Zeke has been a consistent bill of health his entire career. Um, but for me, like, I, I, give me Tony Pollard, give me Latavius Murray, those guys over at Chase Edmonds, I think they're going to clog your bench the same way, and you're going to be unhappy with those guys um, unless they have the starting role. I, I just can't imagine them as anything other than handcuffs this year. Now, Boston Scott had the stretch to end last season. So Boston Scott, you know, I, I think his upside is lower than Tony Here's Pollard. But I still am not going to feel good about starting Boston Scott in my RB2 spot. And I totally see some of those points. I can say those are reasons why you fade these guys. What I'm doing at this point is I'm just taking shots. For I sure. want to get these low-end running backs that could explode because we see guys emerge every single season. We saw DeAndre Washington uh, come in at the end of last season and have some monster games with the Raiders. The, with these guys, though, 
Yes, they're all upside plays, but I also am trying to add some depth at the same time. I think, yes, they're going to be guys that I'm not starting on a weekly basis. That's not where I'm drafting them or expecting them to be. I just like getting that mid-round running back depth because I feel pretty good at at least one of those guys popping off and giving me at least a streamable option week to week in desperate situations. So it's less about the upside. Tony Pollard, yes, every day of the week. I think we both agree on wanting to take double digit round upside shots on these running backs. I think the thing we're disagreeing on is to me, Alexander Madison, Tony Pollard, Latavius Murray, Boston Scott, Chase Edmond, Zach Moss, Justin Jackson, even all these guys to me are in the same category. These are all just deep shot handcuffs that you're hoping something happens and they get the starting job and they have tremendous value because every name I just listed, if the starter was to go down, they're a top 16 running back. To me, they're all the same. I don't think you can really say with any kind of logic that one is going to be more valuable than another on a week-to-week basis because they just pop off on random times. Like Chase Edmonds, outside of the week where he was like quote-unquote starting last season, had two good games all season. Same for Tony Pollard. They happened at weird times. They both had great matchups throughout the season. Sometimes it was 100 yards and a touchdown. Sometimes it was three carries for 12 yards. And I get what you're saying. You're not drafting them there. But to me, I think the only thing we're disagreeing on is I think they're all the same. And one thing I do think we also agree on is I'm taking every name we just listed over Marlon Mack, over Tevin Coleman, I'd re- over Philip yes. Lindsay. Because to me, Lindsay, Mack, and Tevin Coleman, if the starter or the other guy sharing the backfield goes down, I think they have tremendous value. But they're probably like a top 20 option, you know, a solid RB2. Or with all the names we're talking about here in this deep handcuff tier, if the starter goes down, they're probably vaulting into that top 16 range, potentially RB1 range. Like Tony Pollard, Alexander Madison, and Latavius Murray, I think me and you both agree, even Chase Edmonds, maybe even Boston Scott, agree if the starter went down, they'd be an RB1. And with some of those names that are like, okay, they get some work now, but if the starter went down, they'd have value. I think they're like Marlon Mack. If Jonathan Taylor, something happened, and it was just Marlon Mack, you're getting the Marlon Mack from last year, which was like a solid RB2. So... I think, you know, we agree on we'd rather take shots on names like this than some of the other guys that are just kind of like meh in the middle rounds. Um, But I think what we're disagreeing on here is I I see them all as the same. I love Pollard, Madison, and Latavius Murray as the top three of this group. Edmonds is somewhere in the middle. But outside of Zach Moss and maybe Boston Scott, I see all these guys as just deep stashes that are going to clog your bench regardless. I'm telling you, man, I know it's a hot take. Edmonds is going to be nasty. Edmonds we'll see. Is gonna be, he's going to get work with Drake gonna in get the to lineup. See. <laughs> he's going to get work with Drake in the lineup. You're telling me when they switch from the air raid over to this more like run raid once they brought Drake in, if the run raid is working for them, like they can't give Kenyon Drake 30 touches a game, but they can give him 18 and they can give Edmonds another 12 to 15, some through the air, some on the ground. He might get the touchdown that week. So it's more for me. I'm just like, yeah, why can't I have the handcuff and then get a little bit of a, I want the cake and I want to eat it too. So give me some standalone value, but I, I love the disagreements, man, guys, let us know what you think down in the comments. If you like what we're doing here, give us a sub and a like, let's keep it going. Uh, Alex, any other topics we need to need to hit on here? I think there's a few more good ones we can talk about. Yeah, one last thing I want to hit on today, Steph. This is a draft strategy question. We do mock drafts all the time. If you haven't seen some of the mocks on our channel, check them out. They'll get you super prepared for draft season. But it's something we come across often. It's do you should you try to stack players on the same offense, or should you avoid stacking players on the same offense? 
So we're talking redraft here, 10 to 14 redraft leagues. Is there ever a situation where you want to stack multiple players from the same team, or does that limit your upside? Yeah, you get into an interesting perspective here from the you know COVID projections. I'm not going to go out of my way to design my team around avoiding COVID-19 worries and COVID risks. So far, everything has gone fine with the NFL. Among 23,260 COVID-19 tests administered to players from August 12th to August 20th, there were zero positive tests. So like we have more data that says that COVID is not going to be concerned than it will be. I think inevitably, inevitably something will happen. Um, but all the evidence we have thus far says things will be fine in formats like best ball, DFS, and tournaments. You absolutely want stacks. You should go for stacks. But in standard redraft leagues, I think stacks are really fun. Basically, Steph, before you get into this take, before you get into this take, what Steph was saying with those COVID numbers is we think things are going to happen, but don't think about that when you're drafting. Exactly. I've had people come and say like, oh, well, Zeke already had COVID. Does that mean he's less likely to get it? Or should I avoid, you know, drafting guys guys on the same team because of COVID? And the answer to that is no. Just We don't know. Don't think about that when you're drafting. Don't take it into consideration because with the COVID stuff, it's it's hit or miss. There, there could be stuff to happen, but it's not going to be predictable. So don't overthink that in your drafts. But Steph, go ahead. I'll kick it back to you. When do you like to stack different players? I think stacks are fun especially in leagues where you want to maximize upside. The other side of the coin here is that when you do a stack, it also maximizes the downside. So I think if you look at, you know, wide receiver tight end stacks or wide receiver, wide receiver stacks, you know, getting like a Julio Calvin Ridley um, or a DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, what that means is your one bad game script or one off day from the quarterback to then ruin two of the spots in your lineup. So you don't want to go out of your way to get stacks, but where they are nice is when you can find them at a super late value. This is why we always say, let the draft come to you and the values are going to fall. Just in our league last weekend, I grabbed Deshaun Watson and then Brandon Cooks fell and I needed wide receiver depth. So it ended up working out that way. In this situation, I'm not relying on Brandon Cooks or the stack with Watson to lead me to wins on a week-to-week basis. But let's just say Brandon Cooks emerges, he's the one, then now I have extra upside when I'm going against teams that are stacked with, you know, Christian McCaffrey and Clyde Edwards-Alaire in their RB core. And the weeks where, you know, you just really, really need some upside. Maybe you're just right on the edge and you want to try to beat somebody. I like making the kind of stacks um, like that. And, and those are the weeks where stacks matter the most is when you do need that upside. So some of the stacks I like this year, I'll just give you some examples, are like the late quarterback and then the late tight end or wide receiver. So you never want to rely on the stack. That's really the, the main point I'm trying to make here. And ones I like are Matt Ryan and Hayden Hurst, Joe Burrow, Tyler Boyd, Carson Wentz, and Deshaun Jackson or Jalen Regor. Um, and I just threw the other one out there, Deshaun Watson, Brandon Cook. So I like stacks like that. Alex, are you in agreement? You're going the other way. No, I'm with you. <laughs> to me, I love quarterback wide receiver or quarterback tight end stacks. Steph, is there a better feeling in fantasy football than having a quarterback wide receiver or a quarterback tight end stack and watching them connect on a touchdown? It just, it's like one of the greatest feelings <laughs> yes. in the world. You, you can't help but jump off your couch when that happens. This year, in the league, Steph is referring to, I have Matt Ryan and Julio Ooh. Jones. So I'm hoping for many Julio touchdowns this year. Hopefully he can finally hit that double-digit mark. But I love it. I love stack. I think it's fun. Uh, I think it's awesome. And, and typically, I know there is the upside with the downside. You know, if you have a massive week from Matt Ryan and Julio Jones, it's awesome. But then if Matt Ryan's not playing well, 
you know, it could also hurt Julio. But I think typically if you're if the stud is good enough, they can make up for bad quarterback play. So I think there will probably be games this year where Matt Ryan has an off week. Maybe he doesn't throw two touchdowns. He has like, you know, 250 yards, a touchdown and an interception or something. That's going to happen. But even in those games, Julio Jones can still have a solid week. So for me, I love stacking quarterback receiver, quarterback tight end, guys who can actually score points on the same play. Now, I typically do try to avoid wide receiver, wide receiver stacks. You know, I don't want Michael Gallup and Amari Cooper. I don't want Cooper Cup and Robert Woods. I don't want Travis Kelsey and Tyree Kill. Actually, I'll take Kelsey <laughs> and Hill. That one's probably that one's probably yeah. an exception. Um, but but think about it. If you have, you know, Cooper Cup and Robert Woods, unless there's some wild trick play, both of those guys cannot get fantasy points on the same play. So it just limits your upside a little bit. And it also, like Steph said, if you have Cup and Woods and Goff has a bad day, you're totally shot. So I typically try to avoid that. I don't always mind, you know, a quarterback wide receiver stack. Like if I have, you know, Patrick Mahomes and Clyde Edwards Hilaire, that's great. If I have Lamar Jackson and Mark Ingram, or if I have, you know, who's another good example, Ryan Tannehill and Derrick Henry. There are times where in those situations, like Drew Brees and Alvin Kamara, because at that point, you're essentially locking up all of the team's offensive production, unless there's some weird fullback <laughs> falling into the end zone or, again, trick plays, special teams, touchdowns. If I have Drew Brees and Alvin Kamara, pretty much every touchdown the Saints score, which is a really good offense, I'm going to get fantasy points for that somehow. So it's, or the running back quarterback stack, there's some sort of like blanket of safety because you might not get the upside because you know if the Saints score four touchdowns, and Alvin Kamara has three of them. It means Drew Brees, unless he connected to him on a pass, probably didn't um, get any points on those plays. So I don't always mind that. I definitely don't, you know, shoot for it. But I'm not gonna, you know, move someone down my draft board or avoid drafting someone because of the quarterback running back stack. So I think we're pretty much in agreement here. Stack your quarterback and receiver. Stack your quarterback and tight end. Have fun with it. But just be smart when you're you're filling out those other players and don't put all your eggs in one basket because. While there will be ups, there will certainly be downs, and that is going to crush you on a week-to-week basis. Alex, what an episode. Hell of an episode today. A lot of great topics. Love the disagreements. Love the takes on all of these players relative to their ADPs. That's The season's almost here, man. We're, we're so close, and we start off with Can't a wait. fantastic season opener. There. We get a rematch between the Houston Texans and the Chiefs at Arrowhead. Alex, anything to add here before we sign off? Oh, let's see. Man, nothing else to add. I guess one thing to add. Just, again, thank you to everyone who's subscribed to the channel. When Steph and I started doing this less than a year ago, I don't think either of us thought we'd get to 1,000 subscribers on YouTube. So just incredibly blessed by every single person that's hit that subscribe button. We're going to be here all year long. We're going to do our best to keep bringing you value, bringing you good takes, and bringing you fantasy football advice throughout the season. So, again, just thank you, thank you, thank you from the bottom of our hearts. And we're, we're going to be here. You know, we'll be here all year, hopefully beyond. And we're just going to keep on bringing the fire every single week. Thank you guys for listening and watching, and we'll see you next time. Peace. Peace.